Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden and you're listening to Queer Stories. This week, Sean D'Souza is a Brisbane-based youth worker and LGBTIQ artivist, as well as a firm enthusiast of naps, books and tea. Their current projects include tackling transgender homelessness in Brisbane and advocating for queer people of colour visibility through art and community building. Thank you. Section 377 of the Indian Penal Code Act. Whoever voluntarily has carnal intercourse against the order of nature with any man, woman, or animal shall be punished with imprisonment for life. Good evening, queers, or otherwise. I get asked a lot about why I am angry all the time. (laughs) Typically by old white men on the internet. (laughs) Why can't I just be grateful to be here? I wonder. (laughs) What was that? Is my speech going to be about white people again this time? I hear no one ask. Yes. So the British. (laughs) So the British colonized, killed, raped, and controlled my people for spices. And then forgot to fucking add any. Fun fact, fuck, I need to stop saying fun fact before I'm about to say something that's absurdly morbid. (laughs) But the British weren't the first people to colonize India. It was the Portuguese in the early 1500s who started the project of colonization. Also for spices. Not that it's any justification, but at least we know that the Portuguese did a far better job with their food. I met a white gay man in Melbourne who asked me for my actual Indian name. Because, you know, cisgender white gay men are the intellectuals of the queer community. (laughs) And really want to get it right. If I had a dollar for every time I get asked for my actual Indian name, I would be seriously living in Melbourne because fuck this weather. (laughs) Um, For those of you who actually don't know, my actual Indian name is Ariana Gandhi. (laughs) Get over it. So the Portuguese, the Portuguese like the Dutch. (laughs) I'm glad you find that funny. The Portuguese, like the Dutch, the French, and the English, essentially treated India like free real estate and began mass converting Indians into Christianity, bringing forth the eternal truth by white Jesus that pineapple does go on pizza. (laughs) And 
<laughs> first of all. And, <laughs> and the project of assimilation. So when I shared this piece of information with the white gay, um, highlighting that my first name is Western and my last name is Portuguese, this is what happened. So here I am saying, oh, this is my name, this is the history, um, white people, British, bloody, bloody, blah, blah, first name, last name. And I kid you not, this is exactly what happened. He gazes at my face, ha, good word, hey, gazes. Um, <laughs> he, he, he gazes into my face and goes, Portuguese, hey? Hmm. Yep, you do look a bit Portuguese. Who the fuck says that? <laughs> Who the, what is even a Portuguese? <laughs> Tanned and European with an assumption that you're Spain's half-sibling? I don't get it. White people. White people are as unpredictable as climate change, or should I say predictable? I love white people, though, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I really do. I've got one at home, actually. <laughs> we occasionally have sex. He calls me mistress, bit of a whole healthy role reversal. So when I was rehearsing for this at home, um, my boyfriend yelled out saying, babe, say something realistic. And I was like, okay, so he doesn't help me do the dishes. <laughs> um, and yeah, so, not a healthy role reversal. <laughs> By the mid-1600s, the British had arrived like hungry hyenas and had completely pushed out every other empire by the mid-1700s, both Indian or otherwise. They soon enough discovered India's trans community, um, which is, which, so they're known as hijras. Um, and for those of you who don't know, being trans is in fact a cool new thing and has been rightly so hashtag trending in the Indian subcontinent for the past 4,000 years. So, you know, completely a face. <laughs> the Hijra community were seen as people assigned male at birth who, from my understanding, were either non-binary, had intersex variations, were trans femme or female, castrated religiously over eunuchs. The hijras lived and continued to do so in a community made up of a discipleship system, engaging in public religious practices and roles that include begging, music, dance, and sex work. The British, refusing to acknowledge the hijras' transness, essentially saw the hijra merely as feminine or femininely dressed men who engaged in sex with other men. So, like I like to think of as men on grinder. <laughs> the British had very little understanding of the hijra's physical body and their complexities around their public and religious practices, sexualities and genders were a further confusion. I imagine a lot of cis colonial tears were cried. What is a hijra? In the late 1700s, a hijra by the name Bhura was murdered in a horrifying act of domestic violence. The British judges essentially claimed that Bhura deserved to die for being who she was, claiming that the hijra community to be a public disgrace to the colonial rule and a reproach to the British government. Bhura's death sparked a gradual yet consistent national fear. 
The British argued that the hijras engaged in child kidnappings and forcefully castrated children, which there was little to no evidence for. The hijras were now termed as the ungovernable population, leading to what was known as the hijra panic, and the British systemically needing to solve the eunuch problem. Kinda sounds like what Trump would say. A typical pattern of British genocide that we're all perhaps aware of is that of assimilation. It was different with the hijras, but the British, in their panic, decided instead to completely eradicate them from India via the project of elimination. Imagine the audacity of being an empire that truly believes in knowing what's right for the world. The hijras were seen as habitual sodomites, beggars, and an obscene presence in public, which honestly is me on any given Saturday night, so I don't get it. <laughs> habitual sodomite. I want to share three very specific things that the British and the Handmaid's Tale would say about the gender traitors. <laughs> Number one, the hijras, according to the British, were seen to be engaging in unnatural crime. Really makes you think, if being queer is perpetrating unnatural crime, what is a natural crime? Murdering a 19-year-old Aboriginal man in his very home in front of his family. The hijras, according to the British, were seen as dirt, pollution, and a contagion that were engaged in the sexual contamination of Indian and foreign men through professional sodomy. If I could legally advertise my sex working business in Queensland, guess what my business card would say? <laughs> Sean, no, I mean Ariana. Professional sodomite genderless fairy. 15% off all my services if you're not racist. <laughs> Lastly, and this is my favorite, the British claimed that the visibility of hijras in public promoted sodomy. Look, if seeing me in public really makes you want to do it up your bum, Like, be my guest, I'll be like the Jesus of sexual liberation. <laughs> no, but like, seriously, you, you, you watch this dance, right? Like, I literally have anal written all over me. <laughs> Here's the serious part of my queer story. So, shh, calm down. Modeled on the Buggery Act of 1533 in the UK, the British, in 1861, introduced Section 377 in India because the existence of the hijra population challenged the heterosexual, patrilineal order of succession that colonial laws sought to entrench. We were at the forefront of living a life that was non-monogamous, promoting the importance of non-heterosexual and non-reproductive relationships. These progressive lives that you're fighting the rights for my people had already championed it way before white men in chamber rooms decided to politicize our bodies, genders, and sexualities. Horrible, horrible laws against queer people didn't just come from anywhere. 
the fact that when we meet some queer from a different country, one of the first things we ask them is if, how safe is it for them in their home country? And that already tells us something about the world. Colonial perspectives on diverse bodies, genders, and sexualities are globally prevalent because the British got around to colonizing almost every nation out there. When addressing LGBTIQ issues, it is hence even more important to address the effects of colonization. Our world, including the Aboriginal land we are standing on, has previously lived in such perfect equilibrium for so long before someone decided to fuck it up for some extremely bland steak. <laughs> I often invite white people into this conversation because your ancestors either created or upheld systems that you too predominantly benefit from. And I want you to respond to that not by silence but by anti-racist advocacy. The very fact that I'm here, and in fact the very fact that everyone else is here, is that our fate was decided for us even before I was, we were born. How I love and live my life was deemed to be unnatural against the order of nature. So India received independence from the British in 1947, and yet Section 377 was only abolished last year. India still has no protective and anti-discriminatory laws for queer people. Don't ask me why I'm so angry. And I'm too afraid to return home. Don't ask me why I'm angry when I don't even have the language to describe my own trauma, let alone the systemic bullshit and damage that my people have lived through. Don't especially ask me to be grateful to be here when every day I'm measuring up the loss of the sacrifices I've made. I don't know much about my ancestry because the British completely eradicated our classical ways of storytelling. Pura's story has been the first piece of history that has reached out to me to tell me that I am on the right path, that I, I'm doing okay and I will be okay. And as, far as, and, as for, and for as long as we don't collectively work towards restoring the equilibrium I will stand proud in so many, many, many forms of my differences and always reach out to you to join me in this journey. Queer authenticity has and will always be anti-colonial protest. Queer authenticity is my history begging for freedom. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, share your favourite stories on socials and follow Queer Stories on Facebook for updates. You can also follow me, Maeve Marsden, on Twitter. If you enjoy Queer Stories, consider signing up to my Patreon. The link's in the podcast description. Stay safe.